This is Don Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number 74. Uh, with me in Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Uh, Hiroyuki Hamada in uh, Long Island. Hi, John. Hey, <laughs> uh, Johan Edebo. Uh, I think you're in the north right now. I am. I am still Sweden. in the north. Good evening. Yeah. And uh, in India, in the mountains somewhere at an undisclosed location, <laughs> uh, Varun Mathur. Hi, Varun. Hello, hello. Um, you know, I, I that undisclosed, undisclosed location comment. Uh, reminds me of the photograph that we were talking about and looking at earlier of um, of Biden's trip to uh, the climate conference, I guess. Uh, and I, I remember when um, everybody came to Poland, I was living in Poland, the United States, Russia, all these big dignitaries came uh, for some ceremony, I forget what it was, at, at, to honor the victims of uh, World War II or something. Anyway, they ended up at a death camp, as I recall. But anyway, the point was that it was in the middle of a blizzard um, the day that that uh, all the dignitaries arrived, flew in, and the city was shut down, uh, and and you you couldn't get anywhere and there were you know buses and trams were stopped moving very slowly and it was like minus 15 it was incredibly cold um and there was the famous <clears throat> photograph of dick cheney wearing some sports parka well um all everybody else was in a black long overcoat um ever the rube dick cheney uh but but it was extraordinary because they didn't care about the elderly being unable to get home, stuck on freezing trams. And a lot of us uh, were volunteering to help uh, get these elderly people because walking on the sidewalk was treacherous. And, and so we were helping people you know, walk home instead of riding the tram or, or taking a taxi or something. And it was, it was extraordinary, the amount of security that was imposed on, on Krakow. Um, but the photograph in question was one of those big B-52s, whatever those huge, it's probably not a B-52, but um, massive transport planes that the U.S. uses with the cargo hold opening and out roll like 15 black SUVs. I mean, that's how big this plane is. And, you know, I don't know how many people, lots and lots of people and uh, a couple of limousines and, um, you know, so forth, uh, to a climate conference. So, you know, the irony should be obvious. And yet um, I posted the, the photograph somewhere, I forget. And somebody said, well, but how do you expect them to get to the climate conference? <laughs> I said, well, you know, um, they could try Zoom. Uh, that's what they're telling everybody else to use. What you know, I mean, if it, 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 there's something so, I don't know what the word laughable, but but disturbing about about people's. I mean, their people are not skeptical anyway, and they're but they're really not skeptical when it comes to you know authority sanction. Um, 
official bodies of authority. Uh, it's just, well, but that's what presidents do. You know, the guy said, and because, you know, Biden's probably very vulnerable when he travels. And I, I thought, you know, yeah, so don't travel, man. You know, if you're worried about climate, if you're really worried, you would have a Zoom conference, right? And everything would be shut down. They'd be stopping everything if they were really worried. Because yeah. it's it's apparent to me that that the people driving this climate agenda, whatever one thinks about it, however legitimate or illegitimate one thinks of it, you you would assume they would be behaving differently if they believed their own story. Anyway, um, so uh, there's a whole bunch to talk about. This is two weeks since the last podcast instead of the usual three weeks. Um, and, and there's a bunch of topics, a bunch of things going on. So who wants to, uh, Johan? Yeah, I can just tag along here because <clears throat> I think it's interesting that that's something you just, you just mentioned here, something you just said is going to have you branded as a, a purveyor of, of Russian conspiracy theories or something like that <laughs> at the moment. So, so I've been thinking a lot about this. I mean, how you're, you're supposed to be a, a, a Russian shill for pointing out the problems of, of the US Western hegemony and, and that you're, you're actually, you know, it has something to do with, with Russian conspiracism to question the geopolitical implementation of, of the climate emergency narrative. You know, to say that it, maybe it doesn't really benefit thir the third world and, and just maybe it's kind of being spun in accordance with, with Western corporate interests, you know, such an absurd thought. Uh, and I think, I think this reaction is, is something really, really interesting because when you add some historical and, and political context, almost wherever you find it, it really bespeaks this, this incredible ignorance and irrational state of, of the Western mainstream discourse. Uh, just a, as an example, I mean, if you look at the, the, the list of coups and, and coup attempts that, that admittedly are were fomented by, by the CIA and by British intelligence during the post-war period. So, so it's, it's really quite telling that uh, even self-identified leftists will, will mock you as, as a tinfoil tin conspiracy theorist for, for asserting something like that there was uh, US involvement in the 2014 coup. And I think we, we, we've talked about this before, but there's this disconnect between the actual facts of the situation on the ground and the narratives that people in general seem to have internalized. And I think that's really only explicable as a phenomenon of, of a unique and, and unprecedented level of propaganda, really. Right, right. Well, I think it is, and it, it, it becomes, a, <clears throat> of course, a much wider kind of conversation at a certain point, because it's about how and why people believe um, what, they, what they believe, uh, not just politically, but, but about yeah. anything. Uh, and and uh, we've all been talking a little bit about um, about food, the evolution of food, because there've been a, a there's a sudden marketing press going on about um, <clears throat> uh, artificial meat. That meats real meat is bad for you. It's bad for the environment. This is the one that really gets me. I have to say, and so you know that 
there was one video that was making the rounds about soon your meat will be 3D printed. Um, and they showed this stuff that looked absolutely unappetizing. I mean, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't feed to your pet. Uh, and and you know, there's all these startup companies and a lot of money going into this to 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 push for this. And uh, I was thinking how, when I was a boy, uh, my mother would go to the butcher and and get meat. And you know, there's hardly any place that has actual butchers anymore that will give you a cut of meat that you want and so forth. Um, and and. Uh, I thought it would be so interesting as a thought experiment if you could go back in time. If I could go back to when I was 10 years old and eating dinner with my parents and family and, and you know, to examine that food and see and compare it to, to the meat that you get today in the United States anyway. And, and um, I suspect the difference would be really profound actually. Uh, because because bread has been destroyed. We've talked about the, the corruption of wheat. Um, Store-bought commercial bread that you buy today is, is, is just horrible stuff. You know, it makes you fat and stupid, essentially. And, and it's very, very unhealthy. Um, <clears throat> but the list goes on. I mean, there's endless amounts of stuff. So, you know there are there are pockets of people who insist, usually very rich people, who can afford to buy sort of bespoke, you know, mm. um, um, meat or or poultry or even vegetables and so forth, and are obsessed with organic and go on and on and on. But um, I think for the the average working class in at least in North America and Europe. Um, the quality of cuisine has deteriorated profoundly over over 60 or 80 years, um, probably far more than than I think people people realize. Anyway, um, Varun. Yeah, I think the. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't read who has their hand up here. Yes, Varun. Yeah. Varun. Yeah. So I, I I mean I had a few discussions about the the wheat and the bread stuff, and the rice as well because. I, it's like Johan was saying that it's the level of propaganda is sort of unprecedented, I think, in our time in human civilization, because it's it's become impossible for people. To, it seems that it's become impossible for people to parse industrialized systems versus what natural systems used to be. And therefore, there can't be any discussion about using pesticides and harmful chemicals in growing food in industrialized um manufacturing setups right like so it could that that kind of reflects into the meat industry into any kind of vegetarian industry that you can imagine and all those chemicals are making people sick in all kinds of ways their microbiomes are being destroyed their health is going is just plummeting but nobody and the demonizing is happening of the natural product of what communities have always eaten through centuries <clears throat> Right. So, I mean, yeah. if you can tell me that like historical, like one of the, some of the oldest historical cultures that have survived on wheat, potatoes and meat have been wrong, then I think there is something really wrong with that perspective in the first place, because then the idea has to be to 
actually analyze and critique the industrialized systems of production rather than what communities have done for centuries in human history. Right, right. No, and and uh, it's it's you know I mean if you live in in <clears throat> Europe or North America, it's pretty much impossible to get. Um, to get certain products, you know, you you can't get anything that's not wrapped in plastic. Um, and and one of these days we'll have a very big discussion about about the packaging industry that yeah. intentionally flies below the radar. I mean, they're simply never brought up. Um, and it's gotten, it really has gotten um, worse over, I would say, the last twenty years or so, where you know we, you buy little yogurt cups. You know, two spoonfuls of yogurt in this plastic cup. I mean, the it it's so absurd when you think of how, say, your parents, your parents' parents, grandparents' generations bought food and shopped for food and so forth. The um, it's it's extraordinary. Anyway, but that is for another time. Corey, um, I just thought I would bring it back. Um to where this is going and what this, you know, at the crux is really all about. And, you know, especially considering whenever there's um, a massive global agenda at play, how the enemy is always invisible, right? Terrorism, um, virus, climate, CO2, right? Um, meanwhile, the environmental degradation is right before our eyes. And, and then we evoke willful blindness but for all the invisible things, it's like everyone in. Um, but I want to just um, quote a paragraph. It's from the um, United Nations Regional Information Center for Western Europe, published April 23rd, 2015. I found it on the Wayback Machine. It's not there anymore. So anyway, this is, um, I'm just gonna read it here. This is, this is, so February 3rd, 2015, this is probably the most difficult task we've ever given ourselves, which is to intentionally transform the economic development model for the first time in human history. Ms. Figueres um, stated at a press conference in Brussels, this is the first time in the history of mankind that we are setting ourselves the task of intentionally within a defined period of time to change the economic development model that has been reigning for at least 150 years since the Industrial Revolution. That will ha not happen overnight and it will not happen at a single conference on climate change be it COP 15, 21, 40, you choose the number. It just does not occur like that. It is a process because of the depth of the transformation. And so right now, um, if anyone's noticed, even when Al Gore up on stage at COP 27, now it's called um, time for implementation, right? Like that's the theme now. So now we're ready to implement the new um, economic model, which has as World Economic Forum says nature at, at the heart of the economy, right? $4,000 trillion in, in nature as a new asset class. And so I, you know, and then I just wanted to touch upon that. Um, the people involved in that, for instance, one of the main people is um, Johan Rockström, who actually sits on Greta Thunberg Foundation on the board, right? One of the leading scientists, he was at the Stockholm Institute and now he's at Conservation International as the chief scientist. Conservation International um, has on their board, 
do they have? Let me, let me just see. Um, I'll see if I can find it. Um, you know, like military, um, people from military corporations, that type of thing. Very, very environmental. Anyway, it started with Robert Costanza in a leading paper published in 2010 with Rockstrom, basically safe operate, um, the safe operate, operating space for humanity. And there it sort of laid out that sort of the guide for a quote unquote sustainable development, which is the um, um, assigning monetary price to nature. And that's used by the UN governments and NGOs and corporations around the globe, which, you know, it's taken a long time to get that framework for the accounting put in place. But now it, it is um, pretty much in place. And so now that is commencing. And then I just wanted to touch upon, um, it's really bothered me for quite a long time, especially during the COVID thing, you know, where I, it just became so transparent that the all the science is basically in the hand, in the pocket of whoever financed it, right? And it's, it, you know, just can't be trusted. And I've always wondered where all the voices, all the climatologists, the black climatologists, the climatologists from the global South, Asia, and everywhere else were. And I was super interested in the past couple of weeks to find out um, through a bit of digging that China has only published maybe 10 climate papers and they focus strictly on pollution. Um, and then according to Wikipedia, by nationality, the climatologists in the world, um, they're almost all from America, 141 and Britain, 66. So what, what you were saying, John, we have, you know, white science from the colonizers and the imperialists dictating, you know, sort of what the truth is, which cannot be, um, you know, you can't go up against, there's, there's just like COVID, there's no discussing, right? It's static. And so I just wanted to talk about that. Um, I think in Africa, there might be, I think there's two in Nigeria, that's it for the whole continent, um, largest continent in the world. Anyway, it's just, um, it's just really, really wrong. And again, why aren't we, why is this okay? Like, why are we not pushing back about this? Why is there no questions? I mean, I've written a lot about climate, but I'm not so wedded to what I have written that I'm not willing to still, you know, look at it and be prepared to be wrong. I mean, there's no doubt that they're explode, exploiting um, you know, the ecological crises to put in a new system to, to reboot the capitalist system, to keep it expanding, to secure their own positions in the class hierarchy. I mean, that there is no doubt. So um, in that long, you know what I'm saying? I'm sort of rambling a bit. I'll let someone else no. jump in. Well, I, yeah, I, I want to go to Johan, but I'll just add that um, it is it is very much uh, driven by white scientists from the West. And it is interesting that this is rarely, if ever, I'm not sure I've ever seen this noted by anybody, but uh, I think it's because there is a, a reflexive, deeply ingrained, even unconscious racism 
that runs through the people of the West. Well, of course, the science is from the West. We're the, you know, you're not going to have scientists in, you know, Namibia. I mean, how silly. Um, <clears throat> and people like, you know, Attenborough and Jane Goodall, and so they just further this, you know, this colonial dynamic uh, that that is unspoken, although in Attenborough's case, it actually is spoken, but, but it, it is, it is just, it is just a given. It, it is, yeah. you know, for all the theoretical um, uh, decolonizing of theory in places, uh, in general, those old, um, those old biases and, and prejudices remain and it, and it colors how people um, respond to this stuff. Um, Johan? I think you're homing in on something, something, something really important and interesting here. So, so I, I would just like to try to connect this to what I mentioned in, in relation to ignorance and, and propaganda. And I've been thinking about this. Uh, well, you know, if, if you ask your, your local leftists, your left-wing party functionaries, social democrats type people over here, if they know this story about uh, the United Fruit Company of the of the fifties, so I mean of the the early <clears throat> century, and, and you know how how this this company basically totally dominated several uh, South American polities in the fifties, you know it, it basically could shape their entire economies because they were so export dependent, and, and they had total control of of the land and and could uh, enforce uh, and exercise power from from that anchoring point. And, and, and how they used this to do to benefit the the upper echelons of the U.S. corporate structure, and, and you know when when the Guatemalan government wanted to expropriate the the United Fruit Company, then the the CIA, CIA just goes in and and topples the government, and you know in in the, with the the result of this thirty six year civil war, and, and I'm not sure most of, of the people on the left would even recognize this this piece of history, even though hundreds of, of thousands of people died here. Yet, you know, this is the basic template for, for how Western capital has dominated the third world in the entire post-colonial period. There are so many examples. I mean, just look at Congo, tens of millions are, are dead in, in basically a never ending civil war over these minerals we use in the maintenance of, of our high-tech infrastructure. And in this context, I'm supposed to believe that the, this commodification of nature that, that Corey just described, this economic reformation, which is spearheaded by Western capital, and is explicitly supported by this violently enforced climate emergency narrative, I'm supposed to believe that this is just going to usher in this democratic revolution from above somehow. And that, I think, is, is an extremely important uh, you know, observation you're, you're making here. There's a disconnect somehow here. <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's a it's a very big discussion, obviously. But and I want to comment. But, but let me go, Varun. I, I just wanted to carry on uh, what Corey and Johan were talking about. I mean, it, in thirty years that I've witnessed in India, let's take for example that uh, a U.S. corporation or a European corporation will come in, they will mine your and extract your natural resource, destroy the ecology, slap a label on it and sell it to you and take all the money out. And after 30 years of that kind of heavy uh, mining for fast moving consumer goods and hyper consumption, you're going to tell these countries where all the mining is happening that something is 
something is fucked up. So now we're going to fix it with a new financial model and yeah. we're going to help you try and fix it. You know, like this is just so neurotic. In, and the funny thing is that I think also like the habits and behaviors are sociologically are managed so well that and the propaganda and the marketing is managed so well, like you were saying also, John, like it's all marketing and that people believe that there is a catastrophe, except that nobody is going to be willing to change this, the habit of hyper consumption, essentially, right? So that's mm. continuously being sold. It's being sold all the time. That's not something well, that's goes. Yeah, no, it is. And, and I mean, you have to step back, I think. One has to step back, not, not you, Varun. Um, one has to step back and look at what this, this, uh, what the message is for this particular marketing campaign, right? Um, that first, uh, as Corey said, we, or Johan, one of the, we're supposed to believe that, you know, um, Western, uh, you know, transnational corporations, NGOs, the billionaire class, all of these people are suddenly telling the truth. Yeah. They have never told the truth. And there's an absolute, you know, indisputable factual record of, of habitual lying and dishonesty, subterfuge that, that has gone on for 80 years. But now, now they suddenly care um, about the planet in quotation marks, you know. Um, <clears throat> and the thing is, that that uh, if because I started to say what what are they actually saying? They're saying that that um, mankind industrial uh, civilization is destroying the planet and uh, contributing to global warming, uh, and that the rise in temperatures of you know one point five or whatever it is you know is going to trigger catastrophic. Um, environmental problems uh, <clears throat> and that and that we are on the brink there's this great urgency you know in Hollywood we used to say they put a clock on it mm. um, uh, there's there's this ticking clock that we have to do something now and all the little green avatars from Greta to the new um, African girl who was apparently her heir apparent um, <clears throat> in this carnival, uh, that, that uh, we have to act, we, the people, the planet, mankind has to act quickly. And yet, um, and, and of course, you know, there's a, there's a massive positive response to this. There's tons of people out there who are, you know, willing to eat bugs and, and artificial 3D printed meat and whatever the hell else is being suggested. They think, yes, right, of course. None of these people are willing to give up their cell phones. Uh, none of them have the least idea what goes into the making of cell phones, what, what the mining industry is doing in terms of, of environmental destruction. Nor is the leadership of the West at all interested in curbing military interventions. Uh, you know, which <laughs> is just, I mean, if you go back to the, the breaking up of the former Yugoslavia, the spikes in cancer across that region are 
just very dramatic increases in all kinds of cancers because uh, the ground is poisoned with depleted uranium and and other chemicals and and toxins. Uh, this just doesn't. Pa I mean, it doesn't make a ripple in people's minds because it's not. It's you know this is back to Guy Debord the spectacle right. This is not yeah. what people ingest. It's not what they see in the New York Times. It's not what they see in Hollywood television shows or movies. Um, it's not what they read on their cell phones, uh, if they read much of anything anymore. Uh, so, so you have this, the true believers of the West, that white bourgeois, 30% educated, um, increasingly, you know, economically uh, um, sort of living in precarity of a, of a you know, uh, unprecedented degree, but still relatively comfortable people. Um, and they tisk tisk, and they think you know Greta's great, and they think all of this stuff is great, and green capitalism is great, and we have to stop doing this stuff, and we have to change. Um, and they text that to each other on their cell phones. Um, nobody is actually suggesting real change. You know, um, yes, there is a, a a crisis of pollution. There's a crisis of free water, uh, clean water rather. There's all kinds of you know, the plastics in the ocean, microplastics, all kinds of things that have contributed to, um, to you know, what we see in an incredibly unhealthy uh, part of, of, you know, the Europe, North America, you know, we've seen sperm counts. That's the latest story. Male fertility has dropped off a cliff. Um, reproduction is down. Uh, one in four Americans takes antidepressants. Um, diseases, uh, stress-related diseases, uh, are causing heart attacks and 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 obesity. All of these things are way up. Not to mention whatever the possible potential uh, negative effects of the enforced vaccines have been. Um, but even putting that aside, it's a very unhealthy population, and uh, yet. Everyone is obsessed with temperature, you know, nothing else. Two degrees temperature, that's the trigger. And people get extraordinary. Like I had an, people get hysterical about tobacco the other day on social media. I don't even want to go there, but, you know, um, I had to sit back and light my cigar and, you know, calm down a little. Anyway, Johan. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm perfectly, as you say, willing to believe. I mean, I know that there are several interconnected crises here, in in relation to environment and in relation to resources. But but we're not being sold the the true image of, of what's what's going on. And I mean, you're not going to solve these crises by by 3D printing synthetic meat. I think you've all heard the the old vegetarian argument that you know so and so many calories are lost in the production of of uh, of meat, so it's more sustainable to, to eat um, things from lower down in the food chain, like lentils and stuff. And that, with that line of reasoning, you know, there's no way that the 3D printing of, of synthetic meat, including the entire chain of production and maintenance of, of this technology, will be more energy effective than just you know herding goats or, or grazing cows on, on marginal land, because the physics, the physics of the situation do not add up. Just just do the math. I mean, and I wanted to ask you, Haruki, on that note, 
and maybe you also, Corey. I mean, how how much how much resources and, and energy are, are really necessary for for the cultivation of your uh, your kitchen gardens back home? I mean, how, how much uh, fossil fuel you think you need to put in them to <laughs> to get food from them, or if you put in a chicken or two? I mean, well, I I I don't know. It's it's uh, what I've been finding is that it, it's really hard to um, uh, make food. It's um, um, you have to do it right. It, it takes a, it's a community effort, I think, you know, mm. to provide uh, needed materials and, uh, um, and you, when you, you produce certain things and uh, you share with the community. And uh, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but, but I, I do think uh, what Corey has been writing is really spot on in terms of resources. It, it just, plain you know it, it put things in plain view you know it, it just doesn't make sense that the uh, uh the colonizers are basically uh creating a crisis and they are putting out the solutions and uh, they're making profit out, out of it so you know same thing can be said about the the, the climate thing uh Corey, Corey has written about it and uh, uh we have war on drugs uh war on crimes and uh, there's a huge uh tradition of um the establishment engaging in this behavior and there's no consequence they they can just do um uh you know they, they would invade uh, middle eastern countries and uh, they would um uh, come up on uh, pro programs on CNN saying uh, this and that was uh, uh, blunder. That was a huge mm. mistake. But <laughs> they would never say that when it's happening. You know, it's it's. Uh, um, so yeah, there there is uh, disconnect and uh, there is uh, a huge elephant in the room, which is imperialism. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this I I just quickly, and then I want to go to Varun, but I just wanted to mention, apropos of something Johan said, uh, I think in general your point about um, that that three D printed meat is not energy efficient. I mean, but people don't, but people don't think that way. They don't think about the technology uh, uh, that goes in to these all kinds of various products. That's never really examined. The electric car is another example, but, but any of it. And that, that uh, uh, very obviously um, 3D printed meat, uh, you know, maybe in a trillion years will, will you know, be more efficient than, you know, um, than having a, <clears throat> a couple of cows on your property and, and slaughtering them at a certain point and eating the meat. I mean, uh, it's, it's absurd, but, but, but that's how indoctrinated people are about this stuff. People are in general, you know, there's two things. Class analysis is always missing. Uh, people simply don't in the West have, this has been very, a, a very successful campaign to squash thinking in, in class terms. And so people don't. Uh, and the second thing is basically, you know, things like 3D printed meat. And, you know, I don't know what the technology is. Um, I couldn't uh, print you a T-bone tonight, you know, um, off my printer. But, but I'm pretty certain that it's a pretty invasive 
and uh, environmentally <laughs> negative process. And and but it this is but this is the this is this reflexive thing. This and people will get very invested. That it's like this the note I wrote in a recent blog was the gnosis of technology. Um, it it it's abstract and vague, but it it looms as of almost religious belief for people, and uh, it's very selective because nobody's putting down their cell phones anytime soon, um, and and yet uh, they will get extraordinarily emotionally invested in discussions about the environment and about about climate change and and you will find yourself um the target of all kinds of insult and and you know invectives tossed at you and so forth if if you suggest well maybe you know maybe these people who lie habitually um are still lying uh, but but you know they sell this stuff very effectively no no scientists all agree there's a consensus you know um, which is actually not true, but we can get to that. Um, Varun? Yeah, I think it's also like the depth of the infiltration um, of the establishment between interpersonal human relationships in that sense is really astonishing because I mean, people are talking about only what they're told to talk about, for one thing, for example. But if we go back to the example of farming for food, like individuals will always find it, it, it will be always a struggle to grow your own food through the year. And that's why hunting practices have always existed in communities. But the idea is also this, that if people were helping each other with their farms to grow separate food cycles, and that's how communities were built instead of going to a superstore of some sort to buy corporate manufactured food, what does society look like then? Because that's right. exactly that's what I mean is that that they've they have I mean the establishment has managed to divide people from depending on each other and only depend on the establishment for all the needs that we have. Forget about desires, you know. Like I, now we don't think about growing our own food or making our own houses. Now we're only caught in the loop of what's the next Netflix show or what's the next news cycle scandal or when is the next iPhone out or whatever. So right. the important things in communities have. <laughs> all been kind of captured by the establishment in that sense. Well, I, I want to just add as a kind of sidebar here uh, that uh, uh, because I have three small kids and, and they, you know, they, they watch some television, um, you know, they liked Paw Patrol and now they watch Sonic and they have their favorites, but they don't watch very much. And left to their own devices, they hardly ever watch it. They would rather, you know, run off and invent some magical world on their own but if you go to youtube or netflix or you know in this in norway and rk and you look at the menu of children's shows um and they i don't know where the stuff is produced a lot of it is produced um in hong kong and taiwan um but infinite numbers of computer drawn shows with no narrative whatsoever usually no dialogue just photographs and sort of synthetic music not photographs images computer generated images of tractors or whatever it is doing different weird things and it's very ugly and 
incredibly repetitive. Then you get to the stuff for adults. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows. There's one called Primitive, Primitive Building or something about, and it shows, it's all weirdly racist too. It shows a bunch of um, Thai and Vietnamese, Cambodian guys um, out there digging with stones and tools and they build this little um, swimming pool in the jungle we're supposed to believe. And of course it's been proven to not be true at all. They have, you know, massive tractors and, you know, um, whatnot coming out there and, and, and steer skid roller, those things kind of stuff. It's all been built and then they edit out all that stuff. And, and you see these, you know, barefoot guys in shorts building this stuff and millions and millions and millions of views for all of this stuff. If you go to Twitter, who has the most follow? I mean, the Kardashians still, I think, have more followers than anybody. And go to, go to the Kardashian feed. Nothing is, there's nothing said on there. It's extraordinary. So from computer-generated tractors for children to, you know, the Kardashian Twitter account to um, these weird pseudo-survivalist uh, videos. Uh, you, this, is, this is exactly how brain-dead Western society is now. I mean, this is it. It, it, it. I can't, you know, I can't watch this stuff for 30 seconds without like having an aneurysm or something. It, it, <laughs> so extraordinarily stupid um, and, and offensive and ugly. It's so, all so ugly, uh, but, but that's, there's apparently a lot of people out there who watch this stuff, you know. Johan. Yeah, but don't, don't worry, man, you're not gonna have an aneurysm, you're not, you're not vaccinated. <laughs> but I mean, what, what you say here, what you term the, the gnosis of technology, I, I think I think this is also a very, very interesting and important discussion that, that I mean, we, we should, we could maybe devote, uh, I mean, many, many hours of, of, of digging into this, but I think that there is this, this is, this is magical belief in the omnipotence of technology and that's basically the same idea as the, this myth of eternal growth at the heart of capitalism. You know, throw money at it and the, the markets will somehow find a way, even though, you, I mean, the resources are, are finite. I, I think this, this cargo cultish idea can be connected to David Hume's notion that, that cause and effect are separate things and that anything in principle can emerge out of nothing. You know, basically this idea of something from nothing. And I, I think this... This anchors the entire modern mythology of, of capitalist scientism in, in so many ways and is not least reflected in these ridiculous notions of eco-friendly 3D printed meat. But also I think our racist ideas of superior Western civilization contrasted by these primitive economies that you, you touched upon just now are also integrated in, in all of this because we have somehow found the key to this horn of plenty and, and these primitive people haven't. And, and that's, yeah. I mean, therein lie our superiority. Well, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the kind of fulcrums on which this um, something out of nothing, because I think, that, I think this is a um, very insightful observation. And, uh, but one of it, one of the, one of the, the, the moments in which um, something profound changed, and I hate to say it was um, Naomi Klein's no logo was she made this observation, but um, uh, uh, when you went from advertising 
where you were actually advertising something, a product, you know, a hairbrush, whatever, a toothbrush, a pair of shoes, to um, marketing campaigns where you were simply advertising an association, an abstraction. The United Colors of Benetton had all these attractive, multi-hued young people and that was the billboard, but they weren't identifying what the product was. One just wanted to be associated with that lifestyle. It was all of the, the dawn of the, the term lifestyle, um, which is a really insidious word. And um, that was the first, I think that was a, a, a shift to uh, an acceptance that, that it was okay that there was no there there. You, you, you know, you could, you could, everything was just a kind of abstract association that, that somehow defined you, if you went out and spent money in a certain way, with a certain company, um, for a certain kind of, of product, whatever it might be, it didn't really matter, but you, you were embodying, you were becoming part of this lifestyle transformation. And it was also defining, people began defining themselves by more acutely than they had before, much more acutely, defining themselves by, by, by what they bought. You know, I am what I shop. And, and uh, of course it's going on from there now into completely much weirder existential uh, registers than even that. Varun. That's that's basically, I think, the the dissociation that globalism relies on, yeah. not knowing where things come from, yeah. essentially. Right, yeah. and that's that. That was the like in the in the late eighties and early nineties when this whole movement of like the global world was taking taking format. Those kind of advertisements and marketing campaigns were happening all over the world. It's like you have to dislocate the individual from what it is buying entirely the dissociation has, that has happened has basically just made a wall in like the cognitive map so people don't have to think about it now the corporations are responsible so you don't have to worry about it at all right right <clears throat> no it's it's um yeah it's 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 really startling if if when you know you step back a little and look at um, what these various campaigns are saying, and they're you know impervious to facts. I mean, not, you just have to look at the Ukraine, NATO, Russia story, the way it's presented in the West. Um, when those missiles were fired, Ukrainians shot missiles into Poland, um, accidentally or on purpose. Gosh, we don't know. Um, it was immediately blamed on Russia. Um, you know, government leaders were outraged. Zelensky called for World War III. Everybody was, and then fortunately, some farmer took photographs of the debris or, the, or we might all already be annihilated actually. Um, and the United States couldn't deny it, right? They couldn't deny, I mean, these were not Russian missiles. Um, they were old Soviet era stuff that, that Ukrainians had laying around. And so, you know, they had to, to walk back all the initial outrage. But people were perfectly willing to, to believe 
the original story. They're perfectly you know, willing to believe anything that the Times or the Washington Post and whatever puts out um, because, because that's, you know, they've been trained to so do that. And, and if you say to the average person who buys into all this and, and I don't know, has a little yellow and blue flag on their lapel or something. And if you ask them about the history of the region, the fall of the Soviet Union, ask them about the 2014 coup, ask them about the Russian elections of 96, any of this, they don't know where to go to, to find any information on that. That's the thing. Uh, well, but let me go to, you know, I'll look at the New York Times. That's a trustworthy paper. Sure. Let's go look at, and you know, the propaganda is reinforced and validated there. And that's the end of the search. And, and that's where we are. And so it's, so it's a very, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to talk to people and, and change their mind or, or, or initiate a dialogue of any sort, because basically um, people are unprepared to have those kind of dialogues anymore. Johan. Yeah, right, because what you say may be true, John, but it's still Russian propaganda, you know? Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, I mean, right. so, so I think this this kind of sums it up. I mean, this this inane, yeah, even even what you wrote on Twitter here, John, that the the environmental crisis should should we should connect connect it to NATO and to U.S. Western hegemony and that there is an implication indictment you know of growth based capitalist economy that needs to be made here. That's a Russian conspiracy theory, right? And no, I mean, course. do you, do you you guys know how small the Russian economy really is? I I checked it up and and I mean its its GDP is is basically the same as that of Scandinavia. The market right. cap of Apple is larger than the entire Russian GDP. So, I mean, it's kind of a, a semi-developed backwater that can't even manufacture its own microchips properly. And, and people think that Russia can mount this, this global digital propaganda offensive that, that radically threatens Western hegemony. So I just wanted to mention, you know, we have these, these big tech companies. We have five major multinationals that control the press and the legacy media and four maybe five more that control the entire global digital infrastructure and you think they can't influence the dominant narratives if, if they feel like you know and don't, you think they don't know how to seed narratives and, and manufacture consent now i think this is kind of the <clears throat> core issue somehow yeah yeah well i i i was talking to somebody the other day about because the NRK has had a couple of programs where they were sort of targeting conspiracy theorists oh those crazy can why do people think these crack you know crank pot thoughts that's just so weird so unfortunate and I thought so how does that happen <clears throat> what are the chain of mechanisms because I don't think um you know, Klaus Schwab or Bill Gates or Joe Biden or, you know, anybody phoned the, you know, the head of NRK and said, you have to do this. Uh, they didn't have to. Um, the head of programming knows what would upset people and what wouldn't upset people. He knows what the dominant narrative is and what is being stigmatized and made fun of. He's going to avoid that. He's gonna join in the chorus of, of ridiculing that stuff. He will opt for the safest, most widely approved uh, position, political opinion uh, that's available to him. And that's what he's going to do. And, it, and that goes, you know, each step down 
um, to the actors involved even is, is nobody has to coerce them. This is their jobs depend on, on not saying the wrong thing, not believing the wrong thing, not doing the wrong thing, not being associated with the wrong thing. Um, and, and I said that, you know, this is not, it's not a conspiracy. I mean, this is, this is, this is how capitalism works. You know, right. if, if this person said, no, I'm, I'm going to defend people who are skeptical and question authority and, and have a critique of imperial, he'd be fired <laughs> or she would be fired, be fired that day. So, uh, you know, it, the, 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 the structure is this is this is you know um, structural hegemony. Uh, mm. the, you you can't you can't push back against that on those terms on the terms of the system that is imposing a hegemony. It's a it's yeah. a lose lose. It just you know it, it can't happen. Um, okay, um, Corey. You've been quiet a while now. So. Yeah, I'm just sort of sitting back thinking, like a lot of this, it's about saving civilization, right? And then it's, it's okay, well, civilization is not very civil. I mean, civilization is industrialization. And they say mm -hmm. we, um, we have to save civilization uh, in one breath. But then all the proposed solutions are further industrialization. So, which is destroying um, our ecosystems, you know? So if you look at, especially carbon capture utility storage is the absolute promise for fossil fuel expansion, right? And um, through enhanced oil recovery, and basically you continue to pollute, you can now, um, you can now use your carbon, markets to put value on what's being pumped into the ground for the next thousand years at least that's what they say now you have an enhanced oil you're reviving dead oil wells so now you're going to have more oil to burn um and then where is the resistance against that nowhere because you have the ngos in, embedded in that whole um plan you know to have these go out now all across the whole globe paid for with our tax dollars, um, you know, synthetic biology, expansion of nuclear, um, mining oceans, all this is just further more and more and more industrial um, revolution infrastructure. And it's really um, <laughs> crazy that these solutions, like I don't know, it's more about like when you were talking about celebrity earlier, if you look at like the Greta Thunberg account, I'm not sure how many followers she has, millions, I would think. And then she, there's also Greta, Thumb, uh, Greta Thunberg news channel on Twitter, and it has under 7,000 followers. I mean, this 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 um, account gets literally no traction at all. And it's, um, it's connected to the Fridays for Future website, right? It's all about Fridays for Future. It was created a year after Greta was quote unquote discovered on the sidewalk. Anyway, um, it's, and it has zero traction. And again, it's not about what's actually happening. It's about, about clicking the right thing, right? Following that right person, um, aligning yourself with that woke, whatever that woke ideology of the day is. Um, and you just have to wonder 
how much people really do care. It's like the sort of like the mask thing, oh, you're so terrified and yet you go to Starbucks to get a latte that you actually don't need. <laughs> if you think you're going yeah. to die, you wouldn't really do that. Right. Um, just so well, much. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but I guess that's, I guess that's, that's kind of the definition of, of celebrity in a sense, right? Is, is somebody that is a stand in for, for autonomous thought or something, you know, what does Greta think? Uh, it, I don't know. It, 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 we're in an age of social media where a lot of, a lot of the rules and, and, um, interrelationships have changed. I mean, I'm coming to see this more and more, um, the way in which, uh, <clears throat> certain things go viral and the way algorithms shape what appears for people and what is hidden from people. Uh, and, and, you know, it, in, and I come back often, of course, to Hollywood because I have some experience there, but also because I think it has a profound effect, at least on Americans, Canadians, and the UK, and probably most of Western Europe, profoundly influenced by Hollywood. And Hollywood hammers home the same tropes over and over and over and over and over. And uh, the shows could not possibly be more jingoistic and rudimentary and simplistic than they are now. It's, it's really quite remarkable. Uh, and, and that, you know, oh, there's a, there's a new show with, you know, whoever and people watch it and they associate they like that celebrity the show is saying a certain thing so they internalize what the show is saying because they like that celebrity not for really any other reason than that i don't think <laughs> anyway okay um hero yuki and then Varu. uh yes i i really uh, uh the the stuff of a structural pressure is uh, really really uh intense and it's it's uh it's actually really amazing that the uh, uh it's it's as if there's a, a a will of its own and uh, it's it's always working for the empire and i mean of course that's that proves the fact that it is a structural mechanism of the uh, capitalist hierarchy and um uh, you know, the, the one thing you, we should um Again, uh, have to point out is that the, um, the, the all those things, the facts, are coming from the uh, the the, the right wing outlets. Um, they and uh, and if you say something uh, factual, uh, you will be um, labeled as. Uh, Trump supporter, you'll be labeled as a uh, Putin, whatever, uh, you'll be labeled as a climate denier. Um, um, so there is this structural pressure uh, kind of forming the uh, uh, this conflicts among the people. And when that happens, you know, the, the topic is normalized. And when it's normalized, um, it, you know, people just consider it as a, um, uh, as an opinion, even if that's uh, uh, imperial uh, uh, genocide uh, of some yeah. kind, people are dying, but people are willing to say that uh, it, that was a mistake. 
you know. Um, right. So this is really um, uh, again, it's it's the power of the uh, the the structure. It, um, as long as the uh, uh, the establishment is siding with uh, this or that, um, it seems to be uh, okay. It's it's amazing. Yeah, Varun. Yeah, I was just going to add that I think it's also this idea that people just by when the establishment uses or postures somebody like Greta or what's happening now with uh, the climate conferences with these young African girls, picking out young aspirants and making them into these kind of global icons, there is an aspect of uh, quote unquote, this is now trending, right? And then you're yeah. you're making making people as into consumables, which can then eventually you can they can manipulate these trends as they want. But the trickle down then also into society means that people become consumable to each other, and that I think is the degradation that has happened in social yeah. connections where people well, people are yeah, not no, go ahead. What I was saying is, people can't communicate with each other without the establishment telling them how to. That's what right. the goal becomes, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, <clears throat> I just want to come back, apropos of that comment, <clears throat> to the the the, you know, the marked lack of health, both both physical and 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 mental, uh, in Western society today. You know. Um, and then you also look at the crisis of homelessness, which is relatively invisible. And we mentioned this in the last podcast, but the numbers are staggering. And <clears throat> it's no longer just warm weather cities. It's all over the country. And even in, it's not just major urban centers. It's, you know, smaller cities, towns, even the people are on the street and a very high percentage of those people have, uh, mental problems that should be treated, that could be treated. Uh, but, but what kind of society is it that, that in the US leads the world in prison population? Everybody in prison is poor. There's no rich people in prison. Um, Black and Latino disproportionate, um, disproportionately occupy those cells uh, some of the worst conditions in the world in American prisons. The police are uniformly racist. Many of them uh, are members of far-right groups. Most of them are ex-veterans who've come back. They treat the population in America as a, as, you know, they, they think of themselves as a counterinsurgency force um, to, to quell unrest. And I mean, not a day goes by, you don't see uh, some video recorded on, on a cell phone of police beating up a homeless person for, you know, whatever. Um, and, and yet, everybody, I mean, everybody sees this. People drive through cities and see this. They see the people on the street living in cardboard boxes. It doesn't seem to have any, any uh, hold any sway in their opinion making. They simply you know, carry on. Uh, and so what you say about people being unable to talk to each other, yeah, I, th I think, and I think that's contributing to this mental health crisis. 
uh, people are isolated and lonely. They don't know how to make friends. I mean, um, I think that's been true for a very long time. I mean, books were written in the 1930s about the loneliness of, of Western life, of the, the loss of traditional relationships and extended families and you know occupational unity, the destruction of unions contributed to this certainly. Uh, and and uh, so people sit at home, they're unhappy. If they gain too much weight, they hate themselves for that. They feel inadequate. Uh, they look at all these celebrities and why can't I be like that? Why can't I have that? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think it's a very, very, very unhappy um, society. And I think there's a lot of projection. I mean, I just wrote about this too. I mean, there's a lot of projection uh, whether the, 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 the kind of overzealous and emotional hatred and anger directed at people for not wearing a mask, for you know, um, voicing some opinion sympathetic to Putin, uh, for you know, questioning vaccination, all of these things for, <laughs> for defending tobacco. Um, you know, people, that hysterical anger the, the shunning of people, they won't talk to their, you know, previous colleagues because they hold one of these trigger, triggering opinions. Um, this is all uh, a projection, you know, I think it's, it's, there's a, there's a level, there's a, like the superego has come in and, and found suitable targets for, for what is a, a corrosive, deep, um, seething rage that maybe is mostly directed at the person, him or herself. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that's the end of, of that rant. Hiroyuki. I I I totally hear that. It's uh, it's an enraging uh, um, situation. I I, I think uh, from both sides. I mean. Like I was listening to uh, what you guys are talking about the uh, urgency of uh, uh, the climate crisis and uh, um, the, the the way uh, African girls are used to for the um, the agenda and all these things. Uh, the, all these things have been done. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. we've heard that the uh, Qaddafi is um, distributing uh, Viagra, and uh, right. if you don't bomb him, what's going to happen? Uh, the world that the West bombed and the, you know they destroyed Libya and they destroyed the plan to um, um, uh, unify Africa and all those uh, good things that could have uh, come out of uh, uh, Libya and uh, and the same thing about the uh, the um, um, the the Greta Thunberg and um, I mean I, I was just thinking about the uh, that North Korean girl um, yeah who was uh, uh, crying on TV, um, uh, crying about the, her escape from North Korea. Uh, you know, they have to bugs and uh, uh, her uh, mother died, her father died. I, I, can't, I can't remember the details, but but it turned out everything was lie. It, it, yeah. it was the whole well, propaganda, you know? You could, it, you could go back to the Syrian girl. You could go back to right. the babies torn from incubators. Anna, you could die yeah. behind it. All of it fabricated. In every yeah, single it's been all done. And yeah. it, it's, it's still the same patterns, you know? It's, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, the African girl, the new heir apparent to Greta, Greta was like the Volkish, um, you know, uh, Elsa, the Nazi she god or something. Um, you know, she had all that resonance, uh, blonde, pigtails, wholesome. So, um, but now with the this African girl from, and I don't remember what country she's from. Um, this is like a, is where? Ghana, I think. Yeah, Ghana. Uh, okay. Ghana. Um, it's a new minstrel show. I mean, this is just this is just um, you know repurposed minstrel shows for for uh, Western white audiences. Uh, oh, you know, it. I don't know. It seems obvious to me, but anyway, Varun. It's. I mean, the positioning is exactly in line in what the establishment movements have been, because the I think Corey had posted on Telegram group, and I'll look for that link about a statement of this guy um, who's saying that now to um, help that the South South is going to help the North retain balance and bring the economy back and so on and so forth. So I think the Greta icon was to infuse a lot of guilt in the West. And now the African girl is being used to justify how the new methods and the new movement and the new infrastructure is going to put into place, or is going to be put into place. So that's very, it's really, it's really very disturbing to think of it like this, but I think that's exactly what is happening. They're yeah, using perfect icons to justify yeah, their movements. I think that's a really, <clears throat> I think that's a really smart comment. Yeah, can it I, is. It can is. I jump in because I can't even Please. find my hand up thing on the Zoom? Just, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just un, unreal that the global South has contributed so little, you know, to to the crisis. So why how why are the basically the annex one states in charge of the solutions i mean that doesn't make any sense at all that's like the pentagon being at the helm of the peace movement i mean it it doesn't it doesn't make any sense at all like right. they're they're the ones that haven't destroyed the planet they're the ones that haven't created haven't created all the pollution and that surely they should be the ones in charge not the very people who have done all the damage right and and then this whole thing with the World Bank and the IMF and that girl, I mean, now they're not even hiding it because why, you know, it's like people don't care if it's fake. <laughs> so in this um, article, it talks about this girl and her speech to at COP27, I think on Friday was all over the media, right? Her little speech, she, she's from talent shows. Um, she, so this is talking about her, her meeting <laughs> with the IMF director and the World Bank president. And on then it says in the article that she released new beautiful photos on social media, stepping out like a big girl. Nakia, who won TV3's Talented Kids season 10, while just seven years old, is looking all grown up. And she showed off a corporate lady look in her latest photos. And it goes on about her outfit and that. I mean, it's become complete. Um, parody right and now we have these global institutions as basically the new reality show for these for these oh. kids that's your that's your ticket to stardom you know if you yeah. can get um you know a gig at the un or at the world bank or wherever now you know that's your ticket <laughs> and yeah. it's it's yeah. all becomes um just so unreal 
No, it's <clears throat> it's 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 truly bizarre in a way, and and you know the as Hiroyuki said, the North Korean girl, and the, you know it was the in each case uh, the the Syrian girl, I forget her name, you know, which was connected to the white Mana? helmets, as I recall. Yeah, Mana. Um, the the nurse, supposed nurse, who was actually the daughter of some diplomat or something, who you know, testified about babies torn from incubators. All of this stuff was proven to be bogus. The people weren't who they claimed to be. Nothing that they testified about was true. It was proven to be uh, uh, a project from some Madison Avenue firm, Hill and Knowlton, or, you know, one of the big ones that works for the U.S. government. And when it's proven to be fake, Nobody cares. It's I always go back to the innocent men, the innocence project, you know, men on death row facing death, condemned to execution, rescued, released from prison, and nobody cares. No. Uh, the re because you're right, they pre they prefer the fake. I forget who it was that, that said that. Not only do people not care that it's fake, they prefer that it be fake. And I think mm -hmm. that's that's the next step in these existential registers of dislocation, right? I mean, it, 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 it's all life is a screen and people have, you know, um, as their, <laughs> the men, as their sperm counts drop and they sit at home and, you know, eat cheese whiz or something and watch this crap on television, computer generated tractors going in circles. Uh, <laughs> You know, I don't know. That's, that's humanity today in the West. Um, so, Johan. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, so, so a lot of, of of the stuff you've been talking about here kind of kind of connects to to Guy Debord, and and I have this I have this excellent quote from him that that that's uh, it's it's basically one of his, his main definitions of the spectacle, and it really connects with not only what you said about brand marketing, yeah, United Colors of, of Bennett and kind of deal, but also what uh, Hiroyuki said about the structure of a hierarchy, and especially what you just talked about here, John and Corey. Um, anyway, I'll just give give you the the quote. So it's about the spectacle. Understood in its totality, the spectacle is both the result and the project of the present mode of production. It is not a mere supplement or decoration added to the real world. It is the heart of this real society's unreality. In all of its particular manifestations, news, propaganda, advertising, entertainment, the spectacle is the model of the prevailing way of life. It is the omnipresent affirmation of the choices that have already been made in the sphere of production and in the consumption implied by that production. In both form and content, the spectacle serves as a total justification of the conditions and goals of the existing system. The spectacle is also the constant presence <clears throat> of this justification since it monopolizes the majority of the time spent outside the modern production process. I think this is very sums up basically what you just said. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Um, no, I, you know, <clears throat> and, and Society of the Spectacle was written in 68 or something. Uh, 20 years later, he had a book published, Comments on Society of the Spectacle, 20 years later. And in some ways it's an even better book. And I really, 
encourage people to look for that and find it. He was, you know, breathtakingly prescient and 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 prophetic, um, amazingly so, I think. Um, so yeah, okay. I you know, will I I also we always publish links with these podcasts. I don't know how many people make use of them, but I I hope people do, uh, uh, because because I feel it's important to um, underscore that the five of us here do not just make things up, you know, um, and and we we can and we try in these links to provide um, the background of the, the factual studies, the evidence um, that that we can um, to reinforce what we're saying. We don't just off the top of our head say, you know, this is this and this is that. Um, but we actually try to, um, to come up with evidence. And, and so I hope people make use of, of those links. Uh, and there's always a lot of them. So I get that it's a little overwhelming sometimes. All right, um, final thoughts from anybody? I think we're at the final thought stage. Now, don't all speak at once, please. Corey, any last? <laughs> Why did he call on me? I'm 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 buried in information. I have so much information in my brain that I can't even write. It's so hard for me to write because it's just it's overwhelming. But anyway, I'm working, and as soon as I'm done, hopefully we, you guys, can all read through it, and we can have another um, program discussing. Yeah, great, great. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, uh, Varun, Hiroyuki, anybody? Well, I just, I just uh, want to say to Corey that um, uh, it'll be, it'll be great if you could uh, uh, sum up a situation. Um, from your perspective, I, I think people would appreciate uh, what you can, you know, say on uh, what we talked about. Um, maybe another article, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, do, I'm doing my best. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that um, it's, it's uh, you know, we're all, on social media in different places and there's stuff posted and you know it's a toxic environment and i understand people who loathe it and won't go to it but i don't know any other way to get a, a lot of this stuff out um but but we can all be followed on social media as well um it, you know i you know if that's worth anyone's time i sometimes wonder but uh yeah i mean there's this is scratching the surface of, of a lot of material and a lot of stories. Uh, the, the situation in Ukraine is one of uh, the ongoing uh, uh, US economic uh, sort of war on the global south, its relationship with Saudi Arabia, the isolating of India economically or attempted uh, the the extraordinary policy uh, suggestions from Canada, Australia, um, mm -hmm. New Zealand. Now the G20 is enthusiastically supporting vaccine passports, um, even though the populations don't want them. Uh, China remains, in some ways, a great enigma. But you know, 
that's a topic of, of um, would take several hours to tweeze apart and, uh, you know, but, but there's a ton of stuff and, and it, it is overwhelming at times, I think, um, to make sense of it. And it's, it's hard to, I think it is hard to say to people um, you need to question this narrative, the climate narrative, the COVID narrative. Just question it. I, you know, I don't pretend to know um, what the answer is on any of it. I write these posts. I do this podcast. I try to, you know, um, but you know, I don't pretend to have have answers. I just know that that there's a great missing. Um, there's a missing dialogue. You know, a discussion about all of it, and and Agamben talked about this in that collection of short essays he recently published. Um, he said the same thing: where where is public discourse? Where is public discussion? It's just non-existent anymore. It's gone, and that's in forty years. It's completely gone. Um, Hiroyuki, last thoughts. Yeah, I really think uh, what you just said is uh, uh, important. We we do need uh, conversations among ourselves to uh, uh, develop um, ideas, uh, learn from each other, and uh, um, and another topic is the. Uh, difficulty with the uh, social media. I think social media, I, I, I keep wondering, um, uh, I mean, you know, we, we, we get in touch with uh, our social media accounts and uh, we talk about things and uh, there's a benefit, but at the same time, it's, it's really, I, I always wonder at the end of the day, it, is it good or bad? I, I keep thinking of maybe overall, maybe it's not that great because you know you post something um um and uh, and even people comment and people comment like like horrible things and yeah, you know you, yeah. you feel like you know you 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 want to respond but there are like so many things and uh, you know you end up um uh contributing to this binary uh situation yeah. ridiculous arguments and right. uh, you know, and, oh, look, and you know, it's missing, you yeah. know, at the end, you know, it, yeah. so. Listen, a day, a day does not go by that I am not called a Putin stooge. <laughs> I mean, not a day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, or we're a secret LaRoucheite cell or we're crazy fascists or something. I mean, right. social media is toxic and it's full of unbalanced people. And that's just, you know, you have to learn to tweeze apart that stuff and find people who are reliable and do your best. Um, but it's but it's hard. But in general, yeah, in the population, face-to-face, -face, daily conversations, you know, the water cooler thing, um, in offices, at, at workplaces, uh, people don't talk, I think, nearly as much as they did um, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. I know they don't. And, and, um, and there is that triggered response, but, you know, what? That's a big topic. Okay. Hey, so, John. Uh, John. Yep. Yes. Before, yes. Yes. Okay. So before you go, before we go, could we just have Varun talk about that video about the origin of AIDS, Varun? Oh yeah. Because yeah. because that's so relevant um, to what's going on today. I think. Right. What do you think, think Varun? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, and then we can provide we'll the provide link. A, we can yeah. provide a link for it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a film that kind of is tracing the, the two filmmakers who are asking the question of the origin of AIDS. They found a story and they tracked it. And they found two journalists who had been writing about it. And they found um, that there was a lot of experimentation done in the Belgian Congo by people who weren't really ready to actually do these medical practices, in fact. And the position is that they, there was chimpanzee kidney cells, which were already infected with what was called SIV, simian, uh, uh, the simian virus, which is how the AIDS virus, uh, the kidney cells were used for the polio vaccine, which was used to inoculate a million Africans in the Congo. And that's how HIV came to be in the human race. In the, I think the, the film is primarily set between 1957 and 65. That's when the events happened. That's when this polio vaccine was being manufactured in the Congo and then eventually being sent out because there was some kind of, some kind of weird face off between two guys who were trying to make a polio vaccine. And um, one of them was trained in fact in Philadelphia on how to do cell cultures. And a lot of this vaccine was sent back to a clinic or, or, or a lab in Philadelphia. So it's a very interesting film to watch. But yeah, the thing cool. is that, that the cover up by the scientific community, there was this guy, the journalist who wrote the who wrote a book about this called The River, he was basically shut out of any debate when he was he wanted to present his case to the scientific community. Mm -hmm. And they all basically just denied saying anything that they had actually said on record. So there is the same play out that we can see right now with the COVID vaccines. It's exactly the same story. And it's mm -hmm. fucking scary to watch. It's yeah. really scary to watch that. Yeah. Well, there's so many, you know, the silencing of, of stories, whether it's, um, from, you know, Gary Webb and, and you know, CIA cocaine to uh, uh, the bio labs in Ukraine. You know, that story broke and then disappeared. Yeah. U.S. owned military uh, visited at least and had were operating some of them clearly. Um, and there were multiple bio uh, labs in Ukraine, and that story dropped off the radar entirely. Um, but, you know, we know that with black sites, the story about, you know, CIA black sites and stuff. They're very good at shutting down stories they don't like, the CIA, I mean. Um, and, and they, you know, they have a long record of doing that. Okay. Uh, so thank you, everyone. Uh, uh, Corey, Hiroyuki, Johan, and Varun. Uh, Links will be provided, and uh, we'll we'll do this again in a couple more weeks. And thanks to Jack Littman, as always in Los Angeles. Thank you, Jack. Okay, bye. Bye. -bye. Thank bye. you. Bye. Good night.